Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. I want you to turn your Bibles to two spots, and I want you to remember this. When we open up our Bibles, we're not just looking just for principles and promises, but we're looking for the person of Jesus every time we open up our Bibles. And so I want you to turn to Luke 14, John 2, and as Isaac said, we're going to be continuing our series, Can I Get a Witness?, a series on evangelism. And in week one, Pastor Preston really preached uh, an incredible message uh, for the body of Christ to really understand, which was to the Jew first. And he talked about when you love somebody, you learn to love what they love, who they love, you learn to understand how they love, that thing, that person, and why they love. And God has a heart for Israel, for the Jewish people. And in week one, we really open up our hearts starting with that. And in week two, Pastor Preston talked about the purpose of the power. And it was a message on the Holy Spirit. And I walked away with one great statement. I'm sure many of you heard this. But swimmers swim, runners run, and weird people do weird things. The Holy Spirit isn't weird. Holy Spirit is the friend who gives us wisdom, who guides us, who leads us. And we need him. We need to understand him. And we can see why the enemy has tried to distort the image of the Holy Spirit. And many people often kind of push away because they think he's strange or weird. But he is not. Well, this week, we're in week three, and real simple, I want you to write this down, okay, before I say anything, write this down, okay? A disciple must master the life of the master. A disciple must master the life of the master. And the title of uh, this week's message is Secrets of Evangelism. Secrets of Evangelism. And here's my uh, assignment for each and every one of you is to give you a very practical, tactical message on a subject that is often felt by so many as being something awkward. Now, can I tell you a secret? Yes? Can I tell you a secret? Uh, I love what I do for a living. I love the opportunity to bring hope and wholeness to people, to restore innocence, to be used as an instrument of bringing grace and mercy. I love it. I love seeing uh, God bring ease to people who are diseased and bring healing to broken hearts. I love it. But here's something I don't love. I don't love telling people what I do for a living. And the reason why I don't love telling people for, uh, what I do for a living is because when I do, they get, get awkward. They get really weird. They start to act differently around me. They start to watch everything like I'm micromanaging every word that comes out of their mouth. They stop being real. They stop being authentic, and I never get to know them. So oftentimes, I just sort of don't tell them what I do for a living so that I get the chance to get to know them so that I may earn the right to become a friend or be in a relationship with them. Now, here's what I know about you and what I know about people who don't follow Jesus. Uh, and if you're here and you don't follow Jesus, you're going to agree with me on this point. Most Christians and people who don't follow Jesus would agree that people who, who share uh, good news are very uptight about evangelism. They become awkward and weird, and oftentimes uh, they get to kind of a, a strange, uh, non more obligatory interaction or engagement, and their conversation just becomes very strange. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
Even when I think about the subject, sometimes it kind of makes me get a little bit tense because of some of the ways in which, uh, as, as a young man, I was uh, brought into an understanding of evangelism. So many, many of you may, may know some of these methods that you were taught, ticks, uh, excuse me, techniques or tricks, right? So growing up, I, I went to the mall and passed out tracks. Uh, when I was in Bible college, I was very excited. I wanted to follow and do whatever God uh, told me to do. And so I went out with a group of friends and like, hey, listen, we're going to go out to a football game tonight and we're going to evangelize. I thought, cool, this is, I'm in on this. I want to tell people about Jesus. But the way that we did it made me s- seem so strange because we went up to people and we'd be like, hey, man, do you know what time it is? And they'd be like, uh, no, it's time for you to get right or get left. Okay? So for me, this is kind of, You know, and it's easy to talk about how evangelism can be done poorly. But here's what I want to talk about today. What if we could talk about God in a very conversational, uh, integrated part of life? The way that we talk about movies or mixed martial arts fighting. You may not do that, but fishing, raising children, hiking. Now, let me give you a working definition today for evangelism. Very simply, my definition. Here it is. Telling your friends about your friend Jesus. Telling your friends about your friend Jesus. Of course, he's got to be your friend before you can introduce him to your friends. Here's, Here's what I've come to understand, and studies support this, that most people, it's not really that they are... um, they, they find the objections and, and the individuals that they're going to talk to about Jesus insurmountable. The problem is, a, a recent report I read said that 90, 98% of people feel that their communication skills are inadequate. They don't feel comfortable because they feel awkward about introducing people in conversation to Jesus. And here's what I think. We, just, we don't know how to be ourselves. We don't know how to be ourselves. We don't know how to have conversations. And, you know, just recently, you know, I don't know if you have kids that are in school, and often the school will utilize your children as sales and marketing agents on their behalf to raise money, uh, and our school did that for the American Heart Association, but I went out with my son door to door, right, which seems like would be very, you know, very awkward and difficult, but, but that little kid was just full of innocence and purity. We walk around the block, I mean, one lady just, I mean, he walks up to the door, big smile on his face, hi, she's like, yeah, what can I do for you, cutie? You know, and like, well, I'm trying to raise money for heart disease. And she's like, yeah, here's $50. I'm like, what? We got to turn this into something beyond just going door to door, Jackson. No, why? <laughs> he was innocent. He was pure. So let me give you secret number one. We got to move from impersonal invitations to authentic connection and genuine compassion. No, that's a long point. We got to move from impersonal invitations to authentic connection and genuine compassion. Here's what connection is. Connection is an exchange of information, or excuse me, not of information, but of humanity and emotion. An exchange of humanity and emotion. And that's what Christ set us free from, to be authentic, to be the best version of ourselves, to feel accepted, to feel loved, to feel valued, to feel secure. God loves you. He believes in you. And as a result of feeling that way, it allows us to be our most, most authentic selves. Not because I'm, I'm uh, taking uh, inventory and in all the good that I've done, but taking inventory and in all the good he's done. I'm jacked up. I'm messed up. I've fallen. When I was 15 years old, I got arrested for vandalism. 
Why is it so quiet? I did, I did, 15 years old. And then I had to sit in front of the people whose houses I vandalized in this program called the VORP. It sounded so weird. <laughs> Victim Offender Reconciliation Program. Great acronym, I love it, VORP. But during that time, you know what happened? I had to sit and listen to stories of people whose homes I had vandalized and listen to their hurt and their pain. And as a result of going through that process, it really changed how I saw people, neighborhoods, people that were hurting, people that were feeling isolated and alone. It changed my life. And God uses our stories. He uses the things that we go through as a process for us to be authentic. The people outside these walls who don't know Jesus want to hear more about how, how messed up you are and what God has done, not how perfect you are and how you follow every rule. They need to know and understand your stories of loss and redemption, not just loss. We're not in competition of how bad we've sinned, but the fact is, is every one of us in here has. That's what makes us so unique, is to understand that we're just trophies of grace. And what do trophies do? Nothing but display the splendor and the glory of the person who did everything. I'm not glorying in myself. Are you with me? So I want you to read the life of Jesus again in the Gospels. Read the book of John and dive in and really see him. Because here's what we come to understand. God became human. Everyone say human. Jesus. He took on flesh and blood. He didn't send a telegram. He didn't drop bumper stickers from the sky and scatter tracks everywhere. He became human. God sent a man, H to H, human to human connection. The truth is, is in every area of your life, this message will hold true. If you are in business and in sales, people don't want B to B, B to G. They want H to H, human to human connection and authenticity. That's what builds relationships. Jesus shared his physical needs. Jesus shared when he was deeply troubled and distressed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was overwhelmed. He shared it with the disciples. He told them, we have to follow his example because what did I say? A disciple must master the life of the master. So if Jesus shared where he was human, so must we. Question for you. How many of you in here have been happy or sad before? Raise your hand. Awesome. It's great. Right. We all have been. We all kneel over graves. We all cry tears. We all get butterflies in our stomach and feel a little bit tense when we have to tell somebody for the first time that we love them. We all have this experience, and it's something that we need to share with one another. We are not robots. Listen to what 1 Thessalonians 2 says. It says, having such a deep affection for you, we were delighted to share with you not only God's good news, but also our own lives, because you had become so very dear to us. That's the humanity God desires for us to share with the people that surround us, that they would become close to us and that we would share our lives, our affection. We would be vulnerable with them. When you think about it, Jesus, in his humanity, he was closer to God than anybody that ever lived. But those who were furthest from God wanted to be close to him. That's interesting. That makes me wonder and ask a question to myself. Do the people who are farthest from God, whose life is farthest from him, do they want to be close to me because they wanted to be like Jesus? Jesus was interesting. He had interests. And I'm not being cheesy with this. 
He liked to cook. He barbecued, in fact. The Bible says that he was cooking with charcoal as the disciples were coming in from the boat. I like him. He liked to, he liked to take long walks. He liked to hike, right? He liked to fish. Peter, you're doing it wrong, bro. Throw your net over there. And they caught a ton of fish. I like Jesus. We need to be interesting. By a show of hands, how many of you are interesting? Okay, that's one-third of you. All right. Now, I'm going to help you because sometimes we do feel like that. I'm not interesting. Listen, you can go to Barnes & Noble and go to the magazine section one night and pick two magazines and get interesting. Read things about things that other people will have interests in. Are you with me? I'm, I'm telling you, this may not sound deeply theological, but it is. Because this is the life of our master. Jesus connected with people first and foremost where they had interests and needs before he ever got to the conversation about theology with them. First and foremost, general, then specific, then specifically what they were going through. Some have called that the um, concentric circle of conversation. And we need to learn that. But here's what you can do right now. Write down two of your interests. Just write down what are your interests. Listen, this is a participatory event. I need you to take notes and write down. Do what I say, okay? Listen, you're not here to just get information. You're here to think about how can I take immediate action once I leave this place so that I can get busy and involved with the mission that God has me on. What can I give, not what can I get? You're not here to say that. This will change your life in every area where you work, your marriage, your relationships, your friendships, as a sibling, as a parent. What can I give with your church? Wake up every day going, what can I give? What can I give? Are you with me? So it was God's idea to make us human. John 17 says, as you sent me into the wor- this world, I've sent them into the world. So as the Father sent him, he sends us. Well, how did he do it? As a human. As a human. Luke 14. Let's read this passage. Parable of the great banquet. Well, one of those at the table with him heard this. Let me start off by saying Jesus was invited to the home of one of the the leaders of the Pharisees. And Jesus is there, okay? And as they're discussing and talking about various things, uh, this comes up to start. This is where I'm going to start at, verse 15. One of those at the table with him heard this. He said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Essentially, he's saying, dude, it's going to be awesome when we get to heaven. Aren't you, this is going to be amazing. But Jesus replies, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come to a party. Good God. Servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets, the alleys, the towns. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads, the country lanes. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Here's what what I want you to write down. Impersonal invitations will often bring impractical excuses. If you just simply invite your friends and neighbors to church, 
you're going to get a lot of excuses like were brought here in this passage. Uh, yeah, no, it's not going to work for me. But t- techniques and strategy is not God's heartbeat for us to reach and connect to humanity. The master said, go bring them, go compel them. Make someone desire to do something. And so I just want to give you real quick how to bring, teach us how to bring people, and it's going to just be an acronym form. Okay, so the, the B is begin to pray for them. The Bible says that the God of this world has clouded their eyes. They can't see. They don't have understanding. Begin to pray for them. Something happens in you when you pray for people, by the way. You begin to, there's a focus. There's an understanding that these people have brokenness in their life. You have brokenness and uh, had brokenness in your life as well, and you begin to flex a compassion muscle. Rather than just blurting out some information, you start to connect with them, and God is trying to get our heart muscles involved. The R, remember that everyone has fought or is fighting a battle. There's always a reason behind wrongdoing. I know a seeker friend of mine who was committing adultery, basically, um, you know, something that I agonized over what to say to him. You know, do, do I just go ahead and make him feel really bad? But I knew how negative his experience was with church and Christians. I knew I could lose his friendship if he thought that I was trying to, to just kind of come across to him in and, and, and a way and start to tell him how sinful he was. really wasn't the point because there was pain in his heart and I knew that there was pain. And so rather than ask him why the activity and the behavior, I got right to the pain of the situation. And one day when he was kind of venting about how depressed he was, I said, bro, listen, um, I, I, what, you're tr- what you're trying to do isn't wrong. You're trying to get validation and value and love. But how you're doing it isn't the best way to go about it, bro. All you're doing is actually bringing more pain and more hurt into your life. But God has a, a plan and there is a there's a place in your heart that needs to be filled so that you can feel acceptance value and worth he was open it's transformational to his life the I initiate connection with the person initiate connection I love to ask people sometimes like hey what were you like when you were five years old what were you like Often you'll get to the heart of a situation. I've met many people in our community that basically have, have had a very poor experience with church. They, they felt uh, like there was just a lot of rules and not a lot of compassion. Well, that's not true of our church. That's not true of the, what God wants to use us to do in this community. He wants us to bring innocence, hope, and wholeness to people. So we must see people through his eyes and have his understanding of their heart so that we can engage him in conversation. What do you mean? How do you initiate connection? Well, when somebody comes to you and says something like this that happened to me when I was working in the corporate world, hey, Brad, I really like you. Thanks, man. We should do cocaine together. (laughs) I said, man, I really like you too. I don't really do cocaine, but bro, let's hang out sometime at like, you know, Top Golf or a restaurant or something. Do you see what I did there? I didn't make the person feel like they were a jerk or an idiot. I I recognized what they wanted from me, which was what? Connection. They wanted to be around me. And I consider it an honor when somebody invites me into the only things that they know that causes connection, but I don't have to actually participate, nor do I have to make them feel like, oh, 
No. <laughs> it's just what they do. You with me? The end. Never forget the Holy Spirit leads and guides you. We need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will begin to speak to us, give us pictures, will give us information. It's like logging onto the internet and being able to pay attention that the Holy Spirit is there to bring wisdom and give us understanding of the situation. All of a sudden, you'll start sharing a story and you have no idea why you're sharing the story and that person begins to tear up. How did you know? You didn't. You're not that smart. It's not a technique. It's not a strategy. It's about paying attention to this thing on the inside that God has, the one who comes to heal the brokenhearted. Don't forget, he leads and guides you. The G is give them how. How. I said how. And that is honor, appreciation, and love. Romans 2 says it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance, to change the way that they, they think. It's his kindness. Honor, appreciation, love. How do you do that, Brad? Well, I do it by sending two-minute text messages or video messages that I record on my phone or sometimes a voice message. I'm driving in my car, thinking about my neighbor or somebody that I, I've worked with in the past that God brought across my path, and I tell them why. Coaching baseball in this community has been one of the greatest opportunities to minister and to love on families and just to see the good in people, call it out and use this device, a smartphone that makes me feel dumber and dumber to send a message to people about how great and what I see in them. Why? To create that connection. That's how we do it. Now the master in this story, he had a plan. Basically he said, target these areas, go out into the highways and the hedges, the streets and the alleys. Go after these people, the poor, the maimed, the broken, the lame. Now, it's interesting because statistics tell us that institutional religion is down, but on the opposite side, it says that interest in spirituality is way up. People are interested in hearing about and understanding God. According to a Pew uh, Internet study, 64% per percent of Americans are seeking spiritual information on the Internet. Everybody's connected to a tablet, a smartphone. They're receiving information that way. They're searching Google. In our communities in Scottsdale and Tempe, people are looking online. 88% of life-changing decisions are made through a Google search. If you don't know what Google is, I'm going to pray for you at the end of service. But I'm sure you do. Now, we have thought and prayed about what would God have us to do. So one of the things that I want to introduce to you that we're going to use to activate our community and in our community, both here in Scottsdale and in Tempe, and then to Phoenix and the entire state of Arizona is a project that I feel like the Lord gave us. And when he gave me a phrase, reach the city, I didn't really know what that meant 15 years ago. Then I spent a decade of time at this little company called GoDaddy that grew into a behemoth and had everything to do with the internet. So here's, here's what we realized. Last month, we had 5,700 people that moved in a 15-mile radius of Scottsdale, or, or of our church here in Scottsdale. 5,700 people. That represents 10, 12, 15,000 families, individuals. And so we uh, have been looking at and working on the best way that we could connect. Back in the old days, they used to have a welcome wagon. People came with baskets. Now people just get junk mail, and it bombards them. But what we, we've come to understand is that People nowadays, a, a while ago, I saw how Amazon had a box takeover for a, a movie that was coming out. People love getting boxes. You do, don't you? 
Yes, just admit it. Say, I do. I love getting boxes. So we began to look at how we could actually connect with people. And so we have kind of a multi-pronged approach. Our first approach in our digital evangelism strategy. And that is when a person moves in, they're going to receive a three-piece mailer from us. You'll see the mailer, uh, one uh, prototype of the mailer. That's a camel. Welcome to Scottsdale. We don't really have camels, but we do have Camelback Mountain. Very cute. Very cute. Okay. All right. I'm not saying this is the final version, but it's coming in January. All right. But we'll send out a three-piece mailer. We'll do the same in Tempe. We'll also, when they turn on their internet, they'll be getting, they'll be getting banner ads from us, and then eventually they're going to receive this box. Now, we have local product partners. Those are local businesses in our community that have been donating and giving us products. And inside this box will be those things. There'll be little stickers and, and things that will help people to understand that we're a community. And we're doing, we, we are actually prize this community, both in Scottsdale and Tempe. So they'll go to a website, iHeartScottsdale, which you can go to. And I believe that it's going to create a compelling We'll start a new neighbor ministry so that we can go out and connect with those people who have uh, connected with us, throw block parties, house parties, and begin to lead those people to our wonderful friend, Jesus. Isn't that awesome? You know? All right. So, secret number one. You got it. Impersonal invitations. We've got to move from those to authentic, genuine connection, compassion. Now, here's another common stereotype of Christians um, we're the last choice to invite to a party. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know why. I don't like it. Actually, I really despise this, but we are usually the last choice to invite to a fun party. People don't go around town going, oh, man, we're going to throw a party. We should invite those people who go to church. They're going to be awesome. So secret number two, <laughs> we must be students of celebration and active participants in it. Let me read this from Matthew 22, 2. The kingdom of heaven, everyone say heaven, may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. How many of you know that a wedding feast doesn't sound lame? Awesome, okay? Old Testament, God says you shall celebrate the feast of weeks. Now this day it will serve as a memorial to you. Observe the feast of unleavened bread. Take seven days and celebrate. Birthday parties, bar mitzvahs, anything that we can, we need to be celebrating. Brad, are you telling us to party? No, I'm telling you to be like Jesus. And he celebrated. Now, if your definition of party is someplace you go to essentially validate and deal with your repressed emotions. No, I'm not saying that. I'm asking you to understand your identity in Christ, who God made you to be, loved, valuable, accepted, secure, full of purpose, and walk around like you got some. Okay? And when you show up at other people's homes that are celebrating, what are we celebrating? It's your birthday. It's your birthday. Listen, we got to move from celebrate Jesus, this is for some old school people, celebrate Jesus, to celebrating people. Are you with me? John 2, look at this. Life of Jesus. Remember, disciple must master the life of his master. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, 
And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Why did he go to the wedding? Because he was invited. How many parties, celebrations have you been invited to in the last 12 months? Let's make it a goal in the next 12 months, we're going to be invited to more celebrations and more parties. We're going to throw more parties and invite people to our home and, they, and we're going to change this perspective and this lie that the enemy has tried to cast on the body of Christ that we aren't any fun. Are you with me? That was weak. Weak sauce. Matthew 9.10 Story of Jesus engaging Matthew, the tax collector. Remember the phrase sinner and a tax collector. He was so bad. But then Matthew invites him to the party. Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to come to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. This is the master and this is how he operates. I, I, I will tell my kids this often. Listen guys, when, when I come into your room and I flip on the light switch, do you ever see a struggle between light and darkness? No, light always overtakes darkness, it, right? It does. But, but sometimes we have this fear. You know, I've spent time around people that are involved in the occult, you know, people who claim they're, you know, they're wizards and whatever, and just connected to them as humans to find out what were you like when you were five, to understand who they are so that there might be a connection to their humanity, and then to begin to watch what God has done. So as disciples who must master the life of the master, our second way that we're going to do that is through, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, the, the number one uh, opportunity that we have in our community to people being able to develop a habit of really following after Jesus and, and coming to even church is people who are who brand new move here. The second has to do with a painful area of life, and that's marriage. And so February the 8th, I want you to write down that date, February the 8th, we are going to throw a large celebration called Secrets of Marriage. And I just want you to watch this clip. So this ad that's about less than a minute is going to go out all over Facebook, you, uh, Google, YouTube. We are going to promote this all throughout this community. And here's what I'm asking you to do. First and foremost, sign up 
Invest in yourself. Invest in your marriage. Invest in yourself if you're a, a single adult or an individual who wants to grow at any age, any stage of life. Invest into yourself. This will be a parte. Okay? There will be dancing, and for those of you who just feel like you're, you know, kind of a little bit of an introvert, and know you need to recharge when, just by being by yourself, we will have people that will instruct you and help you. We will have stations to help for date nights and creativity and ideas. It's going to be a lot of fun. You'll notice that I did not put any of the speakers, even though there will be some guest speakers there, because we are going out, casting a net, the internet, uh, we're, boy, that was bad, um, <laughs> going out into this community, and you're going to see this ad pop up. And I'm going to hope that you will invite and send this to as many people as you can. The message is very clear. We're utilizing children in it for a very specific reason. We want to restore innocence and bring people back to a place of hope, a place where their hearts would be open when they remember when they were just a child. So it's very strategic in the initiative that we're launching, and I need you to get involved. Well, how do we get involved? Sign up. Invite your friends. Tell somebody you know that maybe is struggling or is, is looking to grow in their relationship. We promise it will be remarkable. And our goal is to make it world class. And that's not always been said of sometimes events. People don't go, hey, I'm going to that church activity. It's going to be world class and remarkable. But we're going to change that by the grace of God. And we need some of your help, all right? Because some of you, you know how to do it right. 1997, my friend had a dream. And... Um, in this dream, he saw a picture of a yacht, and this yacht was floating on the ocean. And it was really a picture of the church, and on this yacht was, uh, basically there was a celebration going on, lots of loud music and people being excited that they were on the yacht. And at one point you panned over and you looked and saw in the ocean that there were faces, there was people that were drowning. And one of the people that was on the yacht was, was dancing and so excited about being on the yacht and then looked over to the side and saw that there was a person drowning. The person drowning yelled, Hey, hey, could you throw me that life preserver right there? Throw, throw me that life preserver. And the person said, Me? I don't, I don't know. I don't, have enough, uh, I don't have enough knowledge of throwing life preservers. I, I don't think I can throw that. And he said, Well, how about that person next to you? Well, I... I got, a lot of, I got a lot of responsibilities. I, can't, I don't know if I can throw you that life preserver. I'm pretty, my schedule's pretty, I'm drowning. Just throw me the life preserver. Excuse after excuse of people feeling like, well, I don't know enough. What if, what if I throw the life preserver wrong? And the person that is drowning just says, hey, would you give me a shot? I'd, I'd just like some hope. I'd just like to know that the innocence that I've been robbed of and what's been taken from me, that there's something that could save me, that could help me. And I've never forgotten that picture. I've never forgotten how people around us are drowning and that they're hurting and that it's our responsibility because God still sends men and women with a message, with a heart, with a, a realization of humanity. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. My mother-in-love is here. Can't, I don't call her mother-in-law. She's a mother-in-love. And she is actually from Thousand Oaks, California. Now, many of you know because Thousand Oaks, where my wife grew up and where I grew up around, uh, was in the news recently because there was a shooting that took place at a club there. 
Many people lost their lives. And then uh, the Woolsey fire has taken many people's homes. And we were just talking the other day just about, you know, kind of what was going on in their community. And my heart just, just kind of welled up because she said, you know, in this crazy tragedy, in this horrific thing, something is happening in our community that I've never witnessed or watched. People are coming out of the woodworks to connect and, and to help one another and to give what they don't even have so that other people can, can, cannot, uh, can get through a day with the loss that they've experienced. As I was sitting there, I just thought to myself, why can't, why can't we be proactive? Why do we have to wait for tragedy to come? Why can't we be the type of people engaged in God's work and God's mission to bring hope and healing, wholeness, and love to people before? Why can't we just simply ask ourselves, God, what do you want me to give? And crush this mentality of what can I get? Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.